Welcome to the Florence Guild podcast, a collection of conversations with business and cultural leaders delivering insight into future approaches to business and life. Through conversations in an array of styles, from salon talks to lifestyle events, through to intimate facilitated lunches and dinners, Florence Guild promotes encounters, satiates curiosity, and allows insight into future approaches to business and life. The following Florence Guild conversation was recorded live at Work Club Melbourne, Australia's most forward-thinking workspace. Regaining the Art of Focus is Florence Guild 2018's narrative. The information and digital age brings many extraordinary gifts and possibilities to our professional and personal lives. However, it is also a world of distraction, indecision and procrastination. In this episode's conversation, Phil Nosworthy and Dr. Angus Hervey will take us on a room-wide conversation on how to focus on what matters most. Phil is a researcher, keynote speaker and co-founder of Switch Learning and Development. He works alongside brands like Microsoft, Universal Music and ING as a speaker, facilitator and social impact strategist. He has been described as the meaning maker a unique professional who creates new paths for the next generation of leaders and entrepreneurs. Dr. Angus Hervey is co-founder of Future Crunch, a platform for intelligent thinking about the future of science and technology, and former manager of Random Hacks of Kindness, a global initiative from Google, IBM, Microsoft, NASA, and the World Bank to create open source technology solutions to social challenges. The Art of Focus, a Florence Guild conversation with Phil Nosworthy and Dr. Angus Hervey. Thank you so much. Well, hello, guys. How are you? Good. This is your opportunity to answer that question. Um, so there are going to be a number of questions this evening because this is uh, designed to be as conversational as possible. Um, I think that there's a, a, a time and a place for presentations, and I think there's a time and a place for the transfer of information. Um, but then I also mostly believe in conversations. I think good things happen in conversation when you can respect the intelligence of the people who would get together. And so we've got a couple of ideas of our own, um, but what we're really interested in doing is pulling together everybody's ideas tonight. Um, and so what we'd like to do um, before we even begin is acknowledge the traditional owners of this land. Um, I'm from Sydney. Uh, the Gadigal people are in Sydney, but the Wurundjeri people. Uh, from this neck of the woods. So we'd like to recognize where we are and how we've got here. So this is a conversation about focus this evening. And, uh, and what I'd like to do is just kind of kick it off uh, in a way that gets you guys into flow. So what I'm gonna get you to do is get a pen out. Is that okay? Has everybody got something to take notes on, yes or no? Um, go for it, that's my pen, you can borrow that. Um, if you don't have a pen, um, Mahez is walking around. I just really would love for you guys to see and recognize that we plan to have a conversation this evening. So, with a glass of wine in hand, what I'm going to do is I want to share two tales. Two tales um, from very different perspectives, from two very different eras in history. Is that a spare one? You need paper. Okay, good. Hey, Gus. Thanks. And Here's how we're going to design this. What I'm going to do, um, this is a little bit Holmesian as far as uh, Arthur Conan Doyle. 
perspective. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to share a tale. And what I'd love for you to do is land the story yourself, if that makes sense. So these are analogous. Uh, and these are, uh, are tales that give license for a little bit of conversation to come. But what I'd love for you to do is kind of have a conversation and land these stories yourself. So the first uh, is a tale from the Arabian Nights. Did anybody read those growing up? Real question, Phil, you did. What was your favorite tale from the Tales of Arabian Nights? Can you remember? Because there's some classic ones. There's ones like Aladdin. There's ones like... It was more the, um, the fact that justice was done in the end. Yeah, it's true. There was, and there was always a very kind of like uh, a desert people approach to justice, wasn't there? It was always a little bit brutal. But in this particular tale, there's a prince. And this is kind of like elemental era of, of desert history. And, um, and this prince heard music for the first time. Now, he was out on his uh, balcony. He was out on his deck. And you could imagine this, that it was in the cool of the evening. And, and as the, the cool air was sweeping off the desert and the stars were coming out for the first time. And, and I have jasmine in my garden. It literally is my favorite smell. But I want you to imagine like just the air being infused with jasmine. Awesome. And this is the prince. And funnily enough, and this is how the tale goes, this is the first time that he's heard music. And so he calls his court viziers, his attendants, and you know the people who are looking after him. And he says, find me the source of this music. What is this? I must have it for myself. Because he had absolutely everything else. And so he demanded and after three days, the viziers and his attendants came before him in the court and they brought this little, uh, this little tube and, uh, and they said, it's a flute. This is the music and this is what you heard on the evening. So he, he snatched it from them and he kind of knocked it on the table and he said, this isn't what I heard on the night. And he said, maybe the music is inside. And so he ordered that the flute be cut up. And so it was cut into a hundred pieces and the, 100 pieces were brought to him, and he said, the music's still not here. He said, why don't we burn it? Maybe the music is in the ashes. And so they burnt it. And the story in quite a desert tale finishes with the prince not finding the music. The second tale uh, is one from Lord Byron. Uh, and this one's a little bit more recently. You know that Lord Byron passed somewhere in the mid 19th century. So this is an era Dickensian of Victorian streets, cobblestone and gas lamps. And it's said that as a Bobby, you know, like a, a Victorian era policeman was out on his evening beat, swinging his baton around, that he came across a man who was down on his haunches, down on his hands and knees, and he was searching for something under a light, uh, a light post. And, uh, and he says, mate, are you okay? And he says, well, I'm looking for my keys. And he's clearly searching for his keys. So the Bobby gets down and looks for his keys alongside. And he said, after five minutes, are you sure you dropped your keys here? And he said, no, 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 uh, I didn't drop them here. I dropped them in the park, uh, but it was dark in the park. And this was the only place that there was light enough to look. <laughs> so that's the end of the second story. The first story, a man who was looking for something the second story, a man who was looking for something, both from very different perspectives, very different approaches, and very different ends. All right, guys, so kind of regardless of where you're at, just to honor time, because otherwise this and with this, like time's going to run away from us. But what we want to do is we kind of want to pull it in and see what we can find as far as is there a river in our conversation this evening. Um, Claire, how are you? Um, this is the problem with being a familiar face. Um, what did you guys talk about? Now, 
this is buffering time. Um, what you need to understand is that these kinds of tails and the value of a tail like this um, is that they're very much like pieces of art hanging in the gallery. And you know that you can like, there's a beautiful piece of art and, and it's like a Rorschach test. And one person will see this and another person will see that. That's the stuff that we're after. Because when you look at a word like focus, it's a pretty loaded term. Would you agree? Non-rhetorical question. Like, would you agree? Yes or no? Like it's quite a loaded term and when some people think of focus, they think about things like overcoming procrastination or they think about um, task management in the day. Some people think a little bit larger in regards to like what is the, the thrust and focus of my life, if that makes sense, which is a little bit more nebulous but nonetheless just as directive as the earlier ideas. And so what we want to do is just make sure that we're not railroading conversations too early. Does that make sense? This is a conversation. So my dad's a preacher, Baptist preacher, and he's a good one. He's a really good one. And, um, and I remember on Sundays, particularly in summer, um, dad would work himself into a sweat and he always wore a suit because he, he was trying to maintain a little bit of kind of like proprietary in this particular church. And, uh, and so he'd work himself into a sweat and he took his jacket off and it'd always kind of end up on like the front floor somewhere. And I'd go and grab it because he was old school pastor. Like there's a tiny kind of suburban churches and two or 300 people. And, um, and I'd go and grab his jacket because he'd already be standing next to the door shaking hands of all the parishioners exiting and, and he knew them all by name and what was going on for them that week and say, hey, how are the kids going? And hey, I hope everything goes well at the dentist this week and all the rest. And what I would have done by that stage is slipped on the jacket. This is tiny Phil, like eight or nine years old. Just imagine me still the same head, but just like a tiny little body in like my dad's suit and or at least his jacket. And, and I can feel the lining of the silk, you know, like it, there's quite a visceral kind of memory for me. And this is really kind of early formative memories. I, I remember standing next to dad as um, people would file past and regardless of what he talked about that particular Sunday, people would say, hey, Pastor Steve, that's his name, Pastor Steve, um, great message on family this week. And you go, great, I'm glad you got something from it. Shake their hand and see you later. And the next person would come in, oh, Pastor Phil, uh, Pastor Steve really kind of like challenged there on, you know, like our finances and that conversation you talked about finances. And he, oh, so glad you got something from it. And the next person would come in, oh, Pastor Steve, what a great message on looking after our health this week. What a, and every single person would get something different from the source material. Does that make sense? Um, Already what we've demonstrated tonight is that we're dropping two tails and they're as kind of abstract, but they are about people looking for something. Is that fair? Yes or no? Um, for my reading of these kind of like parables, the first tale is about somebody who has actually found what they've been looking for. It's in front of them. They just don't know it for seeing it. I mean, this is Melbourne. I'm from Sydney. This is Australia. I mean, often so much of what people are looking for in life is our walking and living reality. Would you agree, yes or no? And sometimes people continue to look for things when something's right there in front of their face. I, I, I wonder if there's something there for us tonight. The second tale is about a, a guy who is clearly aware of what he's looking for, but he's looking for it in the wrong place. Now I want to ask, and I know it's kind of early on as far as our conversation is concerned, but I want to ask, do you know anybody 
who is looking for the right thing in the wrong place. Yes or no? Have you ever met somebody like that? They, they know what they're looking for, but they can't find it in the place where they're looking for it. And so what we are after is this conversation of focus, which is how do we get what it is that we're looking for? And focus being really this activity or this practice of eliminating things and getting sharp and bringing into view certain things in our life. Our conversation, we've got about an hour and 10 minutes left. Our conversation this evening is, um, what are the things that you are bringing into focus in your life? And are they the things that are worth looking for? Are they the things that you're actually looking for? And are we looking for them in the right place? It's pretty grandiose as far as like a goal for 70 minutes is concerned. But this is why I said conversation, because we'll see how we go. Is everybody okay with that, yes or no? So what I'm going to do is now I'm going to introduce um, Dr. Angus. As far as I'm concerned, he's genuinely one of my favorite thinkers in Australia today. And this is the first time that we've ever collaborated on an event. I've been looking forward to it for a little while now. Um, so this is pretty cool. Um, can we say thank you and welcome to Dr. Angus? <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Phil. Hi, everyone. So, uh, <laughs> hi Angus. Uh, uh, it's actually Gus. So Angus is what my mum calls me when I'm in trouble. Hi Angus. So uh, feel free to call me Gus. It's really great to be here. I am going to pick up the conversation where Phil has left it, and he's left you with that provocation, which is, are you looking for the right thing? And if you are looking for the right thing, are you looking for it in the right places? So. How do you actually know, how do you figure out the answer to that question? So I'm going to lead us through about an exercise that's probably going to take us about half an hour. And hopefully when we get to the end of that exercise, you might be a little bit closer to that answer than where you are right now. To do that, I need to tell you who I am. I need to tell you what my story is. So I was born in 1983 in Johannesburg, South Africa. My mum was a software engineer. She was coding before it was cool. She started coding in the 1970s, so I always had technology around. Uh, for me, computers, the internet, technology have just always been the way the world really was. I had a computer in my house before anybody else did. I had access to the internet two or three years before anybody else did. So for me, it's always just kind of been there. My dad, ran his own business, and he, his favorite thing to do in life was what he called ducking and diving. <laughs> Loved to find an angle. If he could find a parking that was slightly closer, he would get that parking. If he could bribe a traffic cop, he would definitely bribe the traffic cop. Um, he used to sneak me into the cricket, you know, and he would always go, oh, it's a good <laughs> duck and dive. So from my dad, <laughs> from my dad, I learned that there aren't really any rules. Uh, that we all have this kind of constructed really cool. world that we live in, but if you can kind of prod and push, you figure out that it's all just ideas and it's all just stories that we're telling ourselves anyway. So I grew up with a healthy disrespect for authority. <laughs> I also grew up in South Africa, so my parents, and I was growing up in apartheid South Africa, so my parents, from the get-go, we knew that we lived in a really highly unequal society, a society that where inequality was codified into law. So from an early age, I was taught that if you get born lucky, it's your obligation to give back. Mm. That, that is just the way it works. 
So if you're a lucky person by virtue of birth, gender, race, situation, country, language, whatever you want to talk about, the moment you know you're lucky, it's up to you to actually start giving back. I also love words, so I love, uh, I grew up as a bit of a nerd, and I couldn't hang out with the cool kids because they were scary, so I would lose myself in books, and my whole <laughs> life I've been fascinated by language, this idea that we can put squiggles on a page or make funny noises and we can understand who we all are together. So I went out in the world and I studied and I learned and I tried to gather as much information as I could and I had this burning <coughs> desire to kind of figure out how it all worked but also this, uh, I suppose you could call it a guilty conscience at the same time. And so now in my work, what I do is I tell stories about the human race in the 21st century mm. that inspire people to believe that we can turn the 21st century into the greatest century humanity has ever known. I tell the story of how we're living in the world that is abundant, more peaceful, where there's more progress, where there's greater equality, where the human race is thriving in a way that we've never thrived before. And I do that in order to counteract so many of the negative messages that we get in the mainstream media. Mm. So that's me and that's where I come from. What I want you to do now <laughs> is we're gonna run an exercise where I'm gonna try to get you to put your story together. All right, so if you've got a pen and a piece of paper, uh, get, get that out on the table in front of you. Uh, and we're going to run through four questions. And the first question that I want you to answer, you're going to have 90 seconds to write this down in each case. We're going to move through it quickly because time is actually a friend when you put bounds on it. Mm -hmm. And I'm going to give you 90 seconds. And the first question that I want you to answer is, don't start writing yet, where were you born? Now, it doesn't have to necessarily be a place. It's the time, the era, the way the world looked, the place, the culture. There's a bunch of different factors around that. Everyone got that? Okay, so I'm gonna count, so in three, two, one, you've got 90 seconds. All right, pens down. Great. So next question uh, that we're gonna answer is who are your parents? And, and to answer this question before you start writing, uh, it doesn't have to be your actual mother and father. Perhaps it's your parental figures. Perhaps you were raised by a single parent. Perhaps there was a teacher or someone. That, people in your life, it's mostly our parents, who taught you your values, the, the way that they operated, the, the businesses they had, the world that they lived in, the people that they were, the backgrounds that they maybe came from. Who, who were they um, and, and how did their values kind of impinge on you? You don't have to talk about your own values necessarily, but I just want you to try to figure out who they were and, and how that kind of influenced you. Could be she, he, they, whatever it is. Has everyone got that? And if you're stuck, just write down individual words. You don't have to write down full sentences and describe it all beautifully. All right, uh, we are gonna go in three, two, one, go. Okay, and let's, uh, let's end that one. This is gonna be fun to see what soundtrack comes to what question. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I want you to get together. <laughs> like, well, yes, mum and dad, I do. <laughs> um, right, so that's great. Third question, we've got four. Uh, so this is question number three of four, is what are you curious about? 
And what, what is it that you have always studied? What is it that you've always gone and learned more about? What is it that has driven your curiosity and passion? It doesn't have to be as long as you can remember. Um, but the thing that you've always wanted to learn more about or the thing that you've always gone and, and sought more information out about. Now, this is not what you studied at university or at school, right? This is what you really are curious about. It's your, your mm. true kind of, your inner passion. It's the kind of thing that you would do even if no one forced you to do it. Mm. All right, everyone got that? You used the word passion, inner passion. Um, <coughs> the implication there is the might have done it. Sure. Mm. You might have done it, um, but it's, it's still there for you. you. You're still here all those years later, or maybe it's you know, something that's reawoken in you, but it's something that you're really just curious about. You, you just want to know more. Everyone got that? All right, we're going to do 90 seconds. Let's go in three, two, one, go. All right. Great. <laughs> okay, the, the final question that, that I would like to invite you to answer is, and this is the kicker, this is, this is the question that kind of brings it all together, is how have you taken your curiosity, your upbringing, your values, the places that you were born, and how have those things informed what you are doing today? What we're trying to do here is we're linking the self that you, we're linking the aspirational self the self, which is the image that you have of yourself, to the actual self that you're living in today's world. So can you use those words and those ideas and those things that you've just written down in those first three questions to talk about what you are doing right now in your life? And again, this doesn't have to be your job. We're more than just titles. It can be the way you're living. It can be how you're relating to your friends. It can be what you're doing to make money on the side. It's up to you. For most of us, it will be about our job. but. There's a lot of different ways you can answer that. All right? So we're going to have 90 seconds to answer this one in five, four, three, two, one. So thank you, everyone. for the, That's a great start. Hopefully, you've got some words and some things on the page there now that have forced you to start thinking, maybe forced a bit of self-reflection. What we're going to do now is we're actually going to put this into action. And to do that, we're going to tell the story of you to other people. So I'd like to ask you to pair up with somebody else. Please make sure that you do not know who that person is, that you have never met that person before. And I know, I know that can be quite tough, uh, that there's that initial weirdness about it. Um, it can often be a little bit uncomfortable. Uh, but if you could just trust me, uh, we'll work through it, and, and you'll see where we're going with it. So if you could just pair up with someone that you don't know yet. <laughs> You're like, I didn't sign up for this. Uh, <laughs> uh, and, and, and if you need to get a drink to do that, uh, I, I understand. Hold on two secs, hold on, hold on, don't go yet. No, 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 no. Hold on. Don't start. I've got some directions to give you, all right? So here's how we're going to do this. What I want you to do is I want you to tell your story in 90 seconds, all right? You're going to have 90 seconds to tell the story that we just wrote down on paper to the person opposite you. And what you're going to do there is there are two active participants in this exercise. There's the person who's telling the story, but there's also the person who's listening. Now, 
I want to give some tips to the person who is listening. You're going to do a couple of things in this, all right? You are going to be an active listener. So the first key in being an active listener is to not talk. Don't talk, right? You are there to just receive what that person is saying. Here are some clues about how to actually listen to that person. And I want you to look for a couple of key things in their story. The first thing I want you to look for is where do they get excited? Where is their sort of, where do they kind of light up? Where do their eyes sparkle or you see their body language change? Where can you kind of really detect that passion or that interest in the person? Okay? So the first one is passion or excitement. The second thing that I want you to look for is what I call the me too moments. Where in their story do you go, me too? That also happened to me, or that was similar, or I can understand that, or that, that feels like something that's familiar, okay? The third thing that I want you to look for is where is the poetry in their story? Where do the words come together in their story that just sound great? There's a little expression in there, or there's a little something that they said, or there was a way that they said it that you just go, oh, that, was, that, just, that just felt really nice, okay? And the final thing that I want you to look for is curiosity. Where in their story do you go, I want to know more. That sounds really interesting. I would like that person to unpack that a little bit more for me. So that is the job of the person who is listening. All right? And the person who is listening, one final tip is try as hard as you can to keep your body language open. Right? And this is really tricky because as human beings, what we do is when we're listening or we're talking to people, we tend to try to cover up our vital organs <laughs> when, we're in a, when we're in a place that's uncomfortable. So you often find when you go and speak, you sort of go like this or you go like this, whatever. So as you're listening, just try and sit there like that and try to keep your body language as open as possible. It's not perfectly possible. If you have to cross your arms or shoulders or whatever, that's fine. But, don't, but try and sit there and, and concentrate on, the, on those listening cues. And I'll give them to you one more time. Passion and excitement. Me too. It's a different context. <laughs> um, <laughs> where, does the, where, where, where is their poetry in what they're saying? And what drives your curiosity? All right? So we're going to go. I'm going to do 90 seconds again. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to give you a 30-second warning. All right? So decide who the person who's going to tell first is. So talk amongst yourselves. Figure out who's going to start. So teller and listener, identified. OK. All right, everyone ready to go? OK, deep breath. And on the count to three, three, two, one, go. OK, and stop. Stop. Okay. Thank you. Please thank the person opposite you. So, a couple more things to point out. When I say stop, when we finish it, I know it's really, you just want to carry on going, but just stop and just be quiet, all right? That would be really great if everyone can do that. It just allows it to sit there. Um, and the other thing is, uh, just as, as the person who is listening, uh, try, you know, you're not, you're not there, it's not like a, um, 
it's not an exam, right? You're just sitting there, almost feel like their words just kind of flow into you. And the person who's telling, try as hard as you can not to list things off like bullet points. I know it's tempting, um, but see if you can sort of string the sentences into different things. Just let it kind of flow as a narrative. If you don't get through the whole thing, it doesn't matter. All right? <laughs> XIV. We're on point number 14 now. <laughs> okay, so what we're going to do now is we're going to swap. All right? So the teller is going to become the listener. The listener is going to become the teller. Listeners, remember, passion, me too, curiosity, and where do I, uh, passion, curiosity, and poetry. All right? Okay, everyone ready to go? All right, on the count of three, three, two, one, go. Great. So please thank your partner. Okay, now what we're going to do is the person who listened first, I want you to tell that person's story back to them. All right? I want you to tell the other person what you saw, what you heard, where the passion was, where you were curious, the me too moments. Talk them through the experience of listening to their story and tell their words back to them in your own words. Everyone got that? The person who is receiving the feedback, try and avoid responding or, <laughs> or, or, or rebutting or whatever it is. Just sit there and just, just listen to your words get spoken back to you. And remember the body language and just enjoy hearing your words spoken back for 90 seconds, all right? Okay, everyone ready to go? Everyone remember who, who's going and who's doing what? So the person who listened first, you are now speaking. You're going to tell the person their story. All right, are you ready? Great, all right, we're going to swap around. So the person who listened second, you're going to be now telling that person's story back to them. Everyone ready to go? Great. All right, we'll do it as a quick turnaround. OK. Uh, give us a few seconds here. <laughs> it's an analog watch. Five, four, three, two, one, go. Great. So please thank your partner. I'm just going to spend a few minutes just talking a little bit and just asking everyone how, how, that, how that was for them. Um, how, but isn't that interesting? Imagine that you could tell someone in 90 seconds who you are. Most of us would think that that's impossible. Um, you, you, you'd hope so. Every, everyone always talks about the elevator pitch. But I hate elevator pitches. I'd much rather spend 90 seconds telling someone who I am. And then if they're curious or they want to know what I focus on, then we can dive into it. But I can't focus on who you are or what your business is or what you're doing or where you're going unless I really know who you are. So imagine that you could take that 90-second pitch and within that short space of time, you could let your clients know who you are, you could let your friends know who you are in a way that we never really do. It's something to think about. So for me, I guess, the art of focus is, I can't, is understanding who you are, what you're doing, and where you're going. Mm. But more importantly, 
understanding who I'm speaking to mm. when we're talking about different issues. And unless we understand who we're speaking to, then it's almost impossible to hone down and figure out what we're looking for or where we're looking for it. So I'm going to hand back over to Phil. Mm. That's how I feel in the middle of this conversation right now, which is a bit like, whew. what I want to do is be able to pick up a conversation of what has already happened in the room and move us into a conversation of what next. I mean, if you're an outsider looking at what's going on in the room, um, really it's just conversations about where we've been. Is that fair? Yes or no? It's kind of like what's brought us to this night um, and Tuesday night, I'm not sure whether anybody realized that they would be having conversations as soulful as this, um, but it's nice. Would anybody agree? It's, 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 and it's rare. Mehez and I were just uh, musing on the fact that it's not often that you get to take the time to do something like this. So I think this is really, really wonderful. Um, what I want to do is I want to shift gears uh, really quickly. If we've had a conversation really for the last half an hour or so in regards to what is it that's brought us here? What I'd love to do is forward project 10 years. Um, and this is again, it's a line of questions. Um, my hunch, and what I'd love for you to do is write this down. Can everybody write this down? Find a scrap of paper or a spare corner. Um, this is, and <laughs> let me know if you need a new piece of paper. Uh, Yvette, do you need a new piece of paper? You good? Um, Mehez, can I get some new paper? Oh, you know what, Yvette, here you go. Here's my notebook. And then if anybody needs it, you can work from the back to the front. Um, if anybody needs it. Um, I'd love for you to write this down because this is my philosophy in regards to these kinds of things. Um, I want you to write it down word for word. The greatest teachers, Write it down. The greatest teachers don't tell you what to think. The greatest teachers don't tell you what to think. They just get you to think for yourself. The greatest teachers don't tell you what to think. They just get you to think for yourself. And I think evenings like this, um, unfortunately, are, uh, are exceedingly rare in regards to the fact that we've created a little bit of space just to kind of pursue an argument without having to do this kind of like 2017, 2018 version of like, here's the answer. Everybody's so addicted to the answer right now. Uh, I think there's more power in questions than there are in answers. Um, because I, well, so far in my exploration of life, 34 years, uh, I haven't quite found one particular domain in which there is an answer, maybe outside of pure mathematics, but that's not me. Uh, you know what I mean? Uh, where, like, that's the answer. Uh, this kind of stuff, I think the wisdom comes in asking the questions. So what I want to do is I want to ask you another set of questions, and I want to give you five minutes to work on it, but this is by yourself, and then after that, then I'm going to start dropping a couple of opinions, if that's okay with you, just so that you make sure uh, that you walk away with a couple of thoughts from us as well as your own reflection. Um, so what I want you to do, future pace. This is 10 years into the future. The year is now 2028, and what I want you to do is describe yourself in your current state in 2028. So this is not a goal setting. I'm not asking, so for instance, in my perspective, I'm not asking the 34-year-old version of Phil to describe the 44-year-old version of Phil. Really, in quite like, I know it's a hallucination. I get it. It's an activity. Like, you know, deal with it. It's Tuesday night. You're all here for fun. Let's kind of like push our thinking a little bit. What I want you to do is put yourself in the shoes of yourself in 10 years' time and talk about what you have done. Does that make sense? So you're 10 years in the future actually talking about 
as though something has already happened. And I want you to answer these three questions. I'm going to speak them out. I'm not going to write them down, so I need you to write them down. Number one, uh, tenuous time. What am I seeing and doing? What am I seeing and doing? What am I seeing and doing? Now, as far as I'm concerned, I couldn't give a rip about what it is that you see for yourself. For some of you, it might be like, I've established like a not-for-profit and we're doing really cool things in X territory or country or nation or part of the developing world. For some of you, it's like I wake up in the morning and Mornington Peninsula, open up the, the curtains and there's my Bugatti Veyron in the driveway. It doesn't, like it literally doesn't matter to me. What matters is that you have a little bit of clarity on that particular question. So what am I seeing and doing? And I want you to answer it through those particular lenses. The second one is this, what are people saying about me? What do people say about me? And remember, this is not a I, so hopefully, none of your responses will be, I hope people think that I'm a nice person, because that's a projection. Does that make sense? Instead, the version is, people say X. It's in the current tense, because it's a future-based activity. So what are people saying about you? The third question is a little bit more here, a little bit more kind of like personal. Uh, how does that make me feel? How does that make me feel? Or how does it make you feel, as the case may be? So what I want to do uh, is we're going to put on a couple of minutes of music. I'm going to put the thermometer in in about four minutes and see where you guys are up to. Um, usually what I find is that this takes at least four minutes. So I'll give you at least four minutes and we'll see what's going on. Do we have any, yeah, questions? Go for it. Um, third question, does that relate to the second question? The it does, question? yeah. It, it, I would say, here's what I'm seeing and doing. Here's what people say about me, which is a reputational kind of response. How does that make me feel? You've got four minutes. Go for it. All right, so what I'm going to ask, we're going to keep the music going in just in a couple of seconds time. What I'm going to do, let's decompress for two minutes, a minute apiece, sitting with somebody, share with them just the stuff that you're prepared to share. You don't have to like unload absolutely everything that you see for yourself if you, if you don't want to. This is not like Dr. Phil in the chair, let's make everybody cry. <laughs> um, but why don't you share with them the stuff that you're prepared to share, two minutes. Uh, because you know, like actually verbalizing some of this stuff makes it a little bit more concrete in our thinking and then we'll pull this all together and drop it into a couple of buckets for the evening. You've got two minutes, go for it. I'm with you. Yeah, I'm with you. Alright, let's pull this in. So, with respect to time, what we're going to do is we're going to kind of accelerate a little bit through uh, a couple of pieces of content. But the reason why this particular conversation is really, really important is that decision-making today, decision-making today is made all the easier for clarity of where we're going tomorrow. And what I want to ask, um, and, and again, with kind of no prejudice in regards to what's the appropriate level of clarity, um, but I want to ask, like, uh, that particular activity, was it really straightforward or was it a little bit challenging? Just binary. Was it really straightforward? People have a super clear version of what it is that they see for themselves in 10 years? Um, or was it a little bit foggy? And so let's build like a spectrum, right? Because for me, I'm like, I'm not too fussed in regards to where it is that people fall. The value is in the questions. And so if zero is, I have no idea what I see for myself in 10 years, I don't even know what I want for dinner later on, right? That's like, that's a zero. Um, and then let's just go in like 2.5 increments. And maybe 2.5 up is uh, distinguished by a clarity of what it is that you don't want. 
Does anybody make decisions in regards to, I don't know exactly what I want, but I, don't, I know what I don't want. That's really useful guiding factor. Um, let's graduate up to five. It's kind of like industry or kind of level of, you know, let's call it SEC status. You know, like what it is that you see for yourself. 7.5, a little bit more clarity and 10. Let's just call that freak. You know, like, you know, those people who are like this and this date and this earnings and this country and this, all of those kinds of things. So let's just self-identify just for fun. Um, is somebody zero to 2.5? Is anybody zero to 2.5? Uh, anybody 2.5 to five? Yes or no? Yeah, cool. Um, five to seven, five. And then like seven, five to three. Okay, cool. Okay, good. Um, so there is utility in just simply asking the question. Um, and the utility in asking the question without having to like, put too much like judgment centric labeling on each of those devices um, is uh, more loosely related to like a, a, a real simple parable. Imagine that you walked into a car dealership. Uh, now imagine that it was a Ferrari dealership just so that we're talking at the right kind of like uh, numbers if that makes sense. And imagine that you've worked. Now here's a baselining question. Does anybody in the room actually work? Yes or no? There's a non-rhetorical question. Like, these are real questions. Don't put your hands up. Like, use this thing. Yeah. This is like a nice device. Um, yeah, so people work. Is that fair? Yes or no? Um, do you feel like you work hard? Yes or no? Um, do you get to, like, Thursday and Friday and you're feeling tired from the week? Yes or no? These are binary kind of questions. Yep. Um, do you get to, like, Saturday morning? I don't know whether you work for yourself or somebody else, but uh, on Saturday morning sometimes, if that's the case, um, because sometimes, like, like, weekends are a part of work as well. Uh, are you ever at a cafe eating your avocado toast and you're thinking about work, yes or no? Does that happen yeah. to you? Like, it doesn't matter the answer. Like, sometimes on Sunday afternoon, like, when you should be deep in chill, you're thinking about the week ahead. Is that fair, yes or no? Yeah. Like, we, we feel like we're working hard. So imagine that you've walked into this car dealership, and let's call it Ferrari, and the car dealer walks up to you and said, hey, it's going to be a million dollars. I say, what is? That would be my response. Like, Sorry, what is going to be a million dollars? Well, that's the price. Take it or leave it. Um, I'm sorry, what? Well, that's the price, mate. Take it or leave it. That's the, that's the price. I would be a mug for accepting a price without understanding what I was getting for the price to be paid. Is that fair, yes or no? Do you know what I'm talking about? I mean, like, if he was selling me a $2 million car and the price was a $1 million, even if I didn't have a $1 million, I would probably go and make that happen because that would be worth paying for. Does that make sense? But if he was like, well, the price is a $1 million, but behind door number three was like a Hyundai Excel, no commentary on the Hyundai Excel. Um, but you see my point. Like, we only know the price worth paying when we know what it is that we're getting for the price that we're paying. Um, so I just want to kind of posit a simple idea in that sometimes people go to work and they're paying a high price. And the price is time, the price is energy, the price is attention, the price is share of life. And without clarity in regards to what it is that we're getting in exchange for that price, well, I'm not sure that that would be an appropriate price to pay. Does that make sense? Yes or no? So for me, as far as focus is concerned, we can get to tactics. And to be honest, I just want to send you a bunch of resources tomorrow in regards to tactics 
of focus, I think we need to start a little bit higher in regards to what is it that we see for ourselves. Because without an insight in regards to what it is that I see for myself, no matter how much that is going to evolve. Because quite frankly, like if in 10 years time, you're living the embodiment of the goal that you set for today, you probably didn't think hard enough or often enough throughout that decade. Does that make sense? Like your goals should evolve as much as you do. Muhammad Ali said the man who at 50 was the same man he was at 20 has wasted 30 years of his life. So I like my, like my hope for every single person in the room is that like the vision for what it is that you see for yourself is constantly changing. But what I'm interested in is how does our understanding of tomorrow inform the decisions that we make today? And that's about focus. And the reason why I think so many people have a problem with focus today, whether it manifests in procrastination, whether it manifests in indecision, whether it manifests in emotional turmoil about decisions that have been made, is actually a lack of clarity on tomorrow. Does that make sense, yes or no? Now this is just an idea I'm positing. My team, what we've done uh, is over the last couple of years, maybe three or four years now, um, is really chased hard. What are the things worth focusing on? Now, we've never used that language, but when Mehez and I uh, were talking about like this idea of focus, I was like, hey, like I'm not like a, a productivity expert. And she's like, no, 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 no. Like, there's value in regards to the conversation. Our lens is meaning. What is it that makes life meaningful? And how can you use your time in such a way that when it's all kind of close to the end, and excuse my language, you think to yourself, that was fucking awesome. And you're ready to finish up? Rather than what Jackie Weir, and it's quite like a famous set of studies now, but Jackie Weir uh, is um, a nurse for people uh, in their very last days. And she's compiled through first-hand resources and insights and conversations and interviews with people. What are the top 10 regrets of the dying? It's quite like heady stuff. I, like, I don't fancy for any single person in this room like a deathbed scenario where there are too many regrets. Does that make sense? So some people say, like, I don't have any regrets. I've got stacks of them. Of, uh, like, I would totally time travel and fix things, of course. But I'm not talking about like, that existential, oh my god, like, I really missed something here. And for us to not get there, it means wrestling with questions now. And so what we've done is we've boiled down uh, this science of meaning in life to four big buckets. Can everybody write them down? Is that okay? Because I think if there's anything worth focusing on life, if there's four kind of categories in which we want to spend any time focusing. Now, people go, am I focusing on my career? Am I focusing on my relationships? Am I Yes, 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 but hopefully we'll find those conversations in these four bigger buckets. Aristotle was somebody um, who frustratingly had a real knack of saying the stuff that like is actually really obvious. And, um, and some of Aristotle's students came to him once and they said, Aristotle, can you teach us to be rich? He's like, of course I can. Like it's Aristotle. You know, like if the old saying, Dom, our friend used to say this, that arrogance begins where capability ends. Like when he says, yeah, of course I can teach you to be rich. Like he wasn't like yanking their crank. He was like, of course I can. But tell me, um, what will you do with riches? Like, why do you want to be rich? 
And he said, oh, I just want to spend more time with my kids. And he's like, great, go and spend time with your kids, then you'll be rich. Because Aristotle was obsessed with like base ideas. It's like so many people live in the superficialities in pursuit of something a little bit deeper. Aristotle was like, maybe if there was a way of peering past that stuff and taking a hold of the baseline ideas, then maybe the superficialities will take care of themselves. So what we've tried to do is dig below the research and find four buckets in which we can find a bunch of the more meaningful aspects of life. And without the tactics of focus, because we're going to have different approaches to it. Does that make sense? Some of you guys like want to work 20 hours a day, because that's awesome, and it's fucking cool, and you love the people that you work with. Some of you guys don't. Some of you like want to like finish up on a beach like really soon, and, like, and fish, and drink wine, and learn to play guitar. It doesn't matter what the superficiality is of the construct of life. There are four buckets that I want you to find and look for meaning in. Um, the first one is this, challenges. Now these are going to make more sense when they're in connection with each other, but can everybody write it down? Challenges. If you want to focus on something, don't focus <coughs> on ease. Now in life, we have a tendency to chase ease. Does that make sense? Like what is it that's going to make things as easy as possible? Now I'm going to play off against each other quite deliberately, happiness and meaning, if that makes sense. So happiness and meaning. Um, does anybody want to be happy? That's a real question. Answer the question. Yeah. I totally want to be happy. But I know this from a research perspective and also from an experience perspective, that if I only pursued happiness, then I might miss some of the deeper aspects of life that create a more meaningful experience of it a little bit later on. Does that make sense, yes or no? I mean, a life characterized by the pursuit of happiness. Now, interestingly, also from a research perspective, just getting nerdy, Sonia Lubomorsky is the world's foremost uh, researcher in the pursuit of happiness. She's like, it's kind of like, it's this weird, it's, it's kind of like a nested loop. Because the people who are obsessed with being happy the most are the ones who are the least happy. Because to say to yourself in the morning, I just want to be happy, is shouting at yourself, I'm not happy. I dare you to chase challenges. And challenges are the things that are at, at least most soul satisfying. We're gonna cover this in like five minutes, right? So allow me to not be as tactical as we could be on another night. But challenges are the things that really satisfy the soul. We wanna know like, how can we test ourselves? Like what's in us? Like how far could we go? And we find more satisfaction out of the challenges of life than out of ease. Now I love lobster, I love pina coladas, and I love sitting next to the pool. I fucking love those things. <laughs> but if you ask me to do it for five years straight, at some point I'm gonna get tired of pina coladas and lobster. Life's really satisfying <laughs> when it's challenging. Chase challenges. Second one is this, connections. Jesus, connections. Let's chase meaning through the way that we connect with others. Now I'm talking about community, I'm talking about faith, I'm talking about friends, I'm talking about family, I'm talking about tribe. I don't care whether you get it from supporting the cats or whether you get it from like being a part of like the parent community organization for like the local public school. Like connections are the thing of life, if that makes sense. The third, because we're racing here. Contributions. If you're going to focus on anything this year, let alone your whole life, 
Jesus. Um, go after contributions. Give to something that's bigger than yourself. I mean, these are buckets worth focusing on. Does that make sense? I mean, sometimes like there's, there's another C, like, and we, could, we just want to like open up the dictionary and look at all the C's that could be things. Like, it's just a palette because I'm a speaker and that's what speakers do, like four C's, right? But like, at least it's not an acronym. <laughs> at least it's not an acronym. I could, don't get me started, man. Don't get, just because it rhymes doesn't mean it's not true, right? Um, <laughs> I mean, what about Korea? Like, what about like all these other things? Coin, what about like, I mean, there's all sorts of things. Consciousness, there's, there's things that people could chase, right? In, it's a Rorschach test. What do you see in these buckets, right? Contributions. You ready for the fourth? Yeah. What's the first? Shout it out. Challenges. What's the second? Connections. What's the third? What are you finding in those so far? Like, I mean, instinctively, you're like, ah, these people, ah, that's how I want to give. Or, you know what, I, don't, I haven't found something that I want to give to. Peter Singer. I'm going to send you a bunch of stuff about this, the tactics of focus in these buckets. Peter Singer, uh, a Melbourne philosopher, super cool, talks about what's the most good you can do. I don't agree with everything that he talks about, but I like the idea. What's the most good that I can do? The fourth is control. How can you gain mastery in your life? Mm -hmm. Control is about mastery in a sense of autonomy and purpose. Does that make sense? Like, it's like, you know, I'm the captain of my fate. I'm the master. Like, I, like this is, I have the ability to direct this thing. And as far as, like, focus is concerned, like, my fear, um, I mean, like, there's plenty of opportunities to talk about, like, here's how to, like, time block. You're like, oh, you've got like a, a challenging task. Here's an hour. Break it down into 15-minute chunks with a, like a timely alarm. Great. That's cool. That's what the internet's for. Um, Tuesday nights at work club are for chats that maybe would like leave us with a few lingering questions. Does that make sense? These are four big buckets worth focusing on because from what we've discovered in our research, they tend to be the four repeating buckets in which... Life is made meaningful. Now, by the way, because we've got like two minutes, um, there's a reversal for each. And I really like reversals. One of my favorite authors, quite controversially, so I don't say it this too often, but Robert Greene, if anybody likes Robert Greene, is just a really lovely poetic uh, writer. But there's a reversal here. For challenges, there's ease. I mean, as much as life is made meaningful because of how we challenge ourselves, there are times when ease is okay. Does that make sense? And like that makes it meaningful, the contrast between the two. Connections needs to be contrasted with isolation. I mean, I know I find myself in connection with other people. Is anybody with me on that one, yes or no? It's like the gods decided that like the biggest holes in my life as far as jigsaw pieces are concerned are unfortunately found deposited in the lives of the people who annoy me the most. Has anybody found that? Yes or no? You're like, shit, like my big hole is like dealing with that person and that's how I'm going to deal with it because like life is found in connection but also a lot of it is found in isolation. Like sometimes I need to go out, look at the stars, get a little bit quiet for a couple of nights and find something else. Contributions. What about like, let's just call it indulgence. I mean, if meaning in life is characterized by what I give rather than what I'm in pursuit of, then there's got to be some times when I would invest into myself. 
because I've been surrounded like my parents, right? Like this is no discredit to them because I think they're extraordinary because their entire life is one of contribution. But my parents, I've seen them pour into the lives of other people, but to their own loss at the expense of their own health. And really, sometimes at the expense of us boys. I'm in the middle of three boys. From time to time, you've got to give to yourself. Does that make sense? That, that's the version of indulgence. And control, let's just call this surrender. There are times, like, if your understanding of meaning in life was by, like, strapping everything down, mastering everything, and, like, really just kind of, I've got it, like, I fucking nailed it. Um, well, we're going to be stuffed. Has anybody noticed? Because as good as we get, I mean, Winston Churchill was pretty good at this kind of conversation. He used to say things like, uh, the reward for success is greater responsibility. Or in other terms, bigger levels, bigger devils. And sometimes, just when you feel like you've mastered something, like it entitles you to open a door where you just have no fucking clue of what to do next. Does that make sense? So there's got to be this like relationship that you understand between control and surrender. Where it's like, I'm going to try my best, Maya Angelou. And if I could encourage anybody to write something down, I want you to write this down. Maya Angelou said this, back then you did what you knew to do. You'll have to be fast because I don't want to say it too many times. Back then you did what you knew to do. But now that you know better, you'll do better. Can I say it again? Back then, that's okay. Back then you did what you knew to do. But now that you know better, you'll do better. One more time. Back then you did what you knew to do. But now that you know better, you'll do better. And for me, that's a picture of grace. Who said it? Maya Angelou. A-N-G-E-L-O-U. She's a goddess, if ever there was one. Recently deceased, I would say 2015, for anybody keeping track at home. Civil rights poet. Extraordinary. For me, that's a picture of grace, which is I'm going to try my best, and then I'm going to measure success by effort. Does that make sense? For me, that's like that's the distinction between uh, control and surrender, because I know that as good as we get and as much as we crave mastery, there's also going to be times when we're like, fuck, that didn't work, but I tried my best and that's OK. And she just has uh, a more beautiful knack of saying it than I do at this point in my life. <laughs> hey, so this has been a conversation on focus and it's quite a, a, a poetic approach to a conversation of focus. I mean, Angus and I are going to send you a bunch of resources. We've got your contact details. So, uh, you know, signed up to Reader's, Reader's Digest for life. Right? <laughs> now, but what we're going to do is we're just going to deposit in your inbox a couple of thoughts, just a follow-up thoughts. I'm going to send you a couple of things in regards to what it takes to build a meaningful life. We're also going to send you some resources in regards to like just dirt, hard tactics, time, Productivity, overcoming procrastination, but we know this. That Is anybody an addict to their phone? I've been observing myself become more addicted to my phone recently. Like, totally. Like, I'm totally like. Yeah. Angus will show you how to break it, and I'll be a recipient of that teaching. <laughs> what we're going to do is we're going to send you some resources, right? But we wanted to actually start a conversation rather than just like talk shit that you could find on the internet. Does that make sense? Um, so 
I like to ask binary questions at this point. Um, has this been interesting to anybody, yes or no? Yes. Has this been useful to anybody, yes or no? Yes. Um, there's some lingering questions here, yes or no? All right, so they're ones to chase. Don't let them just kind of finish on a Tuesday night, but jot them down in the diary, and then when you've got a little bit of time in the rest of the week, um, chase them. I know I'm always available. I'm going to speak on behalf of Angus, but he's a really nice guy. I reckon if you ever wanted to get in contact, you would find us really easily. But from us, uh, one more glass of wine, and have a nice night. And Mahez, over to you. Explore the Florence Guild podcast with the best talent from Australia and across the world. You can subscribe and rate this podcast on iTunes. For more information on Florence Guild, visit florenceguild.com.